Ecclesiastes 3.1 says, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. We're in a series studying the book of Ecclesiastes. I want to invite you to grab the Bible, turn to the Old Testament, and lean in as we discover what God's Word says about godly living in 2024. Hi. Hi. You guys are very kind. It's great to see you. Uh, My name is Jeff. If you're new here, it's great to have you. And uh, get the pleasure of uh, teaching God's Word. So that's what we're going to do in the next few minutes. So if you have a Bible, you need to open it. And uh, you need to open it to this little book uh, called Ecclesiastes. Usually if you open your Bible right in the middle, it comes to Psalms. Um, two books later, okay? Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Uh, one of the things that people here have become accustomed to is uh, me being pretty honest about my... Um, my challenges with some mental health. Uh, I was diagnosed with um, major depressive disorder a number of years ago, and it comes and goes. It's a challenge. Get medicated and fight the good fight and all of that kind of thing. Um, One of the hard parts of it is sometimes you wake up in the middle of the night, though, and it gets worse when you're tired. And you lay there and you stare at the ceiling. I know that's a problem for lots of people especially us older guys, right? We don't know why we just wake up. When you think about all the things that are going on in life, my, the problem I have is I think about all the things that are going on in my life and I'm not trying to solve them in my head. They just kind of bury me. And I start thinking, right, so you're, you're, you're born into this world. You, you start doing the school You go as far as you want or can in school. Um, You get a job, get married. Lord willing, you have some kids. They go to school. They get married. They have kids, go to school. Then they get married and they have kids and by that time you're old. Running for president, I guess. What, you got a few years left? So now you can, what, you play golf? If you're healthy, I guess you could do that. Or pickleball is the thing now, I guess. Um, Going on cruises, eat food. And then you die. Mostly to be forgotten. I mean, there's, most people don't, aren't remembered. Even those people who are remembered are basically forgotten, Right? So what's the point? I've asked that question in my ceiling lots of times. What's the point in this? I mean, you're fighting the good fight and trying to do the best you can with the things that are set in front of you. But when you stop, you stop and you start thinking to yourself, well, what if I just decided I just was gonna keep driving to, I don't know, San Diego? Doesn't San Diego sound nice right now? But then if you get to San Diego, it's, you know, eventually San Diego gets boring and then you're like, well, where to go next? And you just keep doing that. And you start thinking, what's the point in that? I'm not alone, just so you know, in a- asking that question and struggling um, with it. 
I stand on the shoulders, in fact, of some really, really important people, both from uh, religious backgrounds and from non-religious backgrounds. This seems to be a question that, um, that's posed by lots and lots and lots of people. I know we don't talk about it. You're not supposed to talk. I just broke all the rules because I talked about it. But there's lots of really important people, um, like I said, Christians and not. This is from Carl Sagan, who used to talk about billions and billions of years. He was uh, on PBS, and he used to do this show about the universe. He was an atheist, very famous atheist, but this is what he said. He said, uh, who are we? we? We find that we live in an insignificant planet of a humdrum star lost in a galaxy tucked away in some forgotten corner of a universe in which there are far more galaxies than people. Sounds like a good guy to have at your party. (laughs) If you invite him to your party, though, you might also want to invite Bertrand Russell so he'll have somebody to talk to. Bertrand Russell uh, said... Man, his origin, his growth, his hopes and fears, his loves and his beliefs are but the outcome of accidental collocations of atoms. Right, atheist as well. That no fire, no heroism, no intensity of thought and feeling can preserve an individual life beyond the grave. That all the labor of all the ages, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system and that the whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. Uh, people like you and me, when, when we start thinking about those things, we think, oh, those, that sounds really, you know, like scientific-y and, and, and atheistic-y. I was looking online, in fact, and, and uh, if you do a search for what's the point in life, you get a lot of, like, call someone quickly, right, <laughs> responses. I also came across a guy who was just really honest. He, 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 here's what he wrote. He said, I, I realized life was pointless when I approached 40 years old. Around that age, I achieved my career goals after many years of hard work only to realize that I still felt empty. I went through a few relationships and realized that love is fleeting. I saw two of my friends die young and I understood how random and unfair life is. I saw my grandma live to 90, but suffered alone in the last 20 years of her life. I realized that my parents are aging quickly, and I probably only have a few more years with them before they're forever gone. I reflected on the fact that there are 7 billion people in the world, and everyone going through the same thing is dictated by the invisible hands of genetics and society. I am unimportant. No one is really capable of love and death is absolute and can come any time. In the meantime, I probably have 70 years to live in which I will spend most of my years doing what society has set for me. Study, work, marry, kids, retire, die. I will also spend most of my time dealing with nasty people, money issues and health problems. And then I will die 
and join the forgotten hundred billion who have walked this world before me. Yikes. As a Christian, I, I, I read those and I'm like, man, I expect that from pagan philosophers and scientists. They don't really have anything after death. And I really appreciate the honesty from some folks like that. And we Christians, we sometimes just, you know, sweep these thoughts away. This is the kind of thing faithless people have. People of God know better. Enter Ecclesiastes. This little book in the Old Testament, and here are the first words in it. Ecclesiastes 1, 1 through 11. The words of the preacher. The son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What, what, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, and the sea is not full. To the place where streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man can't utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. There is there, is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It's already been in the ages before us. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among the people who come after. Dude, that's in the Bible. Lots of people, when they take the book of Ecclesiastes, they're like, this is not we Christian, we don't know what to do with it. It's really honest, this book. <laughs> it's really honest about what life is genuinely like for people of all different stripes. Now, some people have tried to take the book of Ecclesiastes and make the argument, yeah, but what he's describing is life apart from Jesus, life apart from God. No, in fact, he talks about God. He's describing life, as he puts it, under the sun. This side of eternity. We're in a new series uh, starting. Aren't you excited? You're like, oh my gosh, this is like Eeyore preaching. I love it, right? We're in a new series on the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, I love the book, I'll be honest with you. For somebody like me who is... Uh, Feels like he's been let down by a lot of things in his life. Book of Ecclesiastes comes as a jolt to the heart. Bringing joy that is inexplicable. Now, if you think to yourself, what are you talking about joy? Everything you just read, you just got to come to the next seven weeks, okay? <laughs> you do, you just, you, you just need to come. I promise you at the end of seven weeks, if you listen to what this preacher has to say. Not this preacher, Jeff. This preacher has to say, it'll change your life. So, 
here's what I wanna do today. That text I just read, I actually wanna walk through it and I wanna show you basically what he's trying to argue in the whole book. In these first 11 verses, he's just gonna basically kind of lay it out, like the introduction to another book where you, know, you read it through, you get an idea as to what the thing is, and then he's gonna dive into some specifics later on. But this is the guts. This is the guts of the problem that he wants to deal with. So here we go, Ecclesiastes uh, chapter one, verse one to two. Uh, what I wanna do is I wanna walk through the passage and then after that, I'm just gonna give you two applications at the end. So if you'd like to know where the tour guide's leading you, this, that's, that's what I'm trying to do, okay? So here, let's walk through the passage together. The words of the preacher, the son of David, King in Jerusalem. See this word here? <clears throat> I'm gonna teach you a new word. Here you go, ready? Here it is. Uh, Kohelet. <laughs> Kohelet is the Hebrew word that means preacher. Actually, it means the one who gathers people. You can understand why they call him the preacher, though, because the, he's going to give, you know, talk about life and God when he gathers people. It's kind of what we're doing right now, and I'm standing up here talking. So we call him the preacher. I'm probably going to call him Kohelet a lot. It's not his name, but it's, it's what the Hebrew says is what he is, Kohelet. You always wonder when the book, you know, the word Ecclesiastes, the Greek word ekklesia means the, the gathering. So you can understand why we call it Ecclesiastes. It comes from the, from the Greek. It says the gathering. This Kohelet is the guy who's going to preach the gathering. The words of the preacher, the words of Kohelet, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, um, People want to make a big deal about the fact that he's the son of David. One of the things that they want to make a big deal, I don't say, hey man, if you read the rest of this book, this sure sounds like a guy who's got a lot of money, has had a lot of pleasure, has done all the things. And we know of one guy like that, his name's Solomon. So people have historically said this book is written by Solomon, but we don't know. Solomon's name is not in, in the beginning. All we know, all we know is it, it's written by a descendant of David who's sitting on the throne could be Solomon, could be somebody who is kind of pretending to be Solomon, whatever. It's a very wise, these are words from a wise king. What are the words? Well, here's the guts of it, okay? Vanity of vanities. You know, uh, when you say, this is the song of songs. He is the king of kings. He's the Lord of Lords. What you're doing by sticking those words together, by you're, you're intensifying it, right? I am the champion of champions, man. Meaning that I'm the really, really big champion. So when he's saying vanity of vanities, I want to talk to you about the vanity. There's lots of vanities, but this one, this one is the very, very, very top. This word vanity. <laughs> it's actually... Um, the Hebrew word hebel. This is probably pronounced with a more V sound, right? Hevel. Now, we read it and it says vanity. And some of you guys, if you are reading like the New International Version or something, it'll say meaningless. That's it. It's kind of a narrow take on what the word actually means. Literally, the word means Breath. And the idea is, when you breathe, it's fleeting. 
right? I'm like, your life is but a breath. You, it's, a, it's a hevel. It's, there it goes. It's gone. And you do it again. There it goes. It's gone. So the world, word itself really has the connotation of like fleeting. But not just fleeting. It's, it's fleeting so that it's unfulfilling. Do you, do you understand what I mean by that? Like, okay, so some of the languages that's used, one of the pieces of language that's used in, in, in the book of Ecclesiastes is you'll get, um, it's like vanity of vanities, hevel of hevel. It's like chasing after the wind. Just think about that image for a minute. All right, so we're gonna go out, guys, today. We're gonna have a, a wind hunt. And we are all gonna chase after that wind. We're gonna line up on the outside the church here and everyone's gonna go and everyone's start running and you're gonna put all sorts of effort into the getting, right? That's what you do, a chase. And eventually you're gonna, you're gonna reach and you're gonna start to blow and you're gonna reach and grab it, right? But as soon as you grab it, it slips right through your fingers. You think, ooh, that stinking wind grab it and it slips through your fingers see what's going on is there's an expectation that you have that you're going to work really really hard and you're going to take possession of this thing and it's going to make you happy genuinely fulfilled you're going to turn to the rest of us and say I got it I won I got the wind but you can't. The wind can't be caught. The preacher would say, that effort, the chasing after wind, is heaven. It's fleeting, unfulfilling, and ultimately pointless, right? You can see why they get the word meaningless from it or vain. <laughs> At some point, you're just out there going, you know what, I think I might not chase the wind anymore. Ah, but we don't. This is a problem, right? We don't. We think, oh, I just didn't do it right. <laughs> maybe the wind, maybe this isn't the right wind. Maybe there's another wind that I should probably chase. There's a guy actually who wrote really, some really great books. There's guys who've written some really great books on Ecclesiastes. One of them actually was mentioning at the beginning of his book about, he told a story about his son and him who went to the beach and they were building a sandcastle. And he said, they were there for the whole week. And they're building this sandcastle. And he said, man, we had turrets and like we had everything going on. Uh, but in order to build the sandcastle, you had to be close enough to the water, right? You know what's going to happen. They finished all their work, spent hours doing this sandcastle and his son sits down with him and they look at the sandcastle and then the tide came in while they weren't paying attention, it wiped it all away. And his son was like, what a waste of time, dad. We went all of this effort and now it's gone. Oh, don't worry, son, we'll come out tomorrow, we'll do it again. They came out the next day, same thing, build the thing over hours. The, the, the waves came, took it away overnight. Came back the next day. They just over and over and over again. The preacher would say, yeah, that's Hevel. You guys worked really hard and put all sorts of energy in it in order to make a lasting thing that was gonna make a mark on this world. And then...
You had it. For just a second, you had it. You were like, look at our thing that we made. It's fantastic. But then it's gone like a breath. Just gone. Ah, Hevel. There's an author, his name's Eric Ortland. He summarized the word this way. He said, disappointing one's expectations. This is a great, great definition. (laughs) What is Hevel? It's the disappointment of your expectations. The amount of sweat and tears we put into our life's work, when compared with the end result of that labor, could not be more incongruous. Meaning... You're going to put in this much effort and you think that the end, you're going to get this much payoff. You do this much effort and you get hevel. So when the writer of Ecclesiastes, this is what he, this is what he means. The word of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Here's what I'm trying to say in my whole book. Hevel of hevel. Right? Disappointing expectations of disappointing expectations, says the preacher. All of it is just a massive disappointment. Or to put it in a different way, by way of a question, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Uh, This is a financial term, right? Like when, when all is said and done and, and the accounts are um, added all up at the end of your life or at the end of your chase after the wind or melding your sandcastle or whatever you put your energy to in your whole life, your passions, your interests, your hobbies, your work, your relationships, at the end of all of it, do you have satisfaction? Does the outcome equal the input? That's what he means by toil. (laughs) Uh, You and I read that word and we're like, man, that sounds like toil. That sounds negative. Yeah. Like hard work. It's hard work, the stuff we do, right? Who here's not thinking to themselves, well, you know, I don't work hard at all. At my life, at my relationships, at my job. I mean, everybody's working hard on something, man. All that toil, what's it going to get you? And you've invested a lot in it. I've invested a lot in it. What's it going to get me? At the end of the day. Of course, this toil is happening under the sun. This is on this side of eternity, in this world, on this planet, this fallen, fallen world. The question is maybe better stated uh, this way. What kind of satisfaction will you get from all the things you work at in this fallen world? So in your mind, you gotta be thinking, right, what, what we're talking about here is, okay, I've got a job and I'm working hard at my job so that I can get a promotion in my job and then I'll work hard in the position of promotion so that maybe I will either get a promotion in that business or I'm gonna parlay that into another business so then I can go in there and climb, climb the ladder or whatever and eventually I will reach the top of the ladder, maybe own my own company or be the CEO of Google or whatever it is that you want to be, and you will finally have power 
You won't have people telling you what to do anymore. You will finally have power. And when I have power, then I'll be satisfied. Will you? Um, okay. What I really want is actually to be rich. I mean, we talk about it all the time. This is why I play the lottery. This is why we, you know. I make a bet with my friend or whatever. I want some more money. I want more money. Take a better job, whatever. So I'm going to keep working at it. Increasing my, you know, exertion in order that I might get more and get more and get more. And then finally, finally, I will, you know, I'll have Bill Gates money. I'll, eat Elon, I'll buy stuff with that money. And when I finally have all of the money this, and, and work so hard to get there, I will finally be satisfied. Right? No, no, I'm going to work on my body. Okay, I'm going to go to the gym all the time. And I'm going to lift weights. It's January. I'm going to do it. This year I'm going to do it. Work, 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 work. Then I'm going to get really cut and ripped. I'm going to, you know, replace the hairs I've lost or whatever it is. I'm not going to look 51 anymore. I'm going to look 35. And then all the ladies are going to say, woo, check him out. And I'm going to take advantage of that. I'm going to take advantage of that. That's the whole goal. I'm not going to settle on one. I'm just going to go spend my time with all these ladies. And eventually, after spending my time with all of them and having them all love me because of my beauty, I'll be satisfied. Willpower, money, or sex, or any other endeavor you can think of pay off in the end. That's what the book's about. He's got an answer, okay? He's, he's gonna answer it uh, in a kind of cryptic way for us, very poetic way. And here's how he does it. Uh, he turns to the world around us, just nature. And he says, right, let's, let's, let's have a look at the natural world around us and see, see what happens when the world around us toils and toils and toils and toils. The things around us in the natural world, toil and toil and toil and toil. Where does it lead them? What kind of accomplishments and gain does the wind have or the, the river have? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever, right? I, I, <clears throat> I live in Barrington and in, near my house, there's a cemetery that I walk through, sometimes cut through in order to go for a walk. And it is fascinating to me. There are these huge monuments in, in Barrington uh, that I can't read. I can't read the plate that was in front because they were put up, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 years ago. And just the weather has taken it all off. But I was thinking, I walked by him and I think this person was really important. I don't know, I mean, I don't know who they are. Most people in town don't know who they are. And those people who do know who they are will die soon and then they won't be known at all. We don't know this person. How many graves there are in the world where people are like, ah, it's a grave, but I don't know. When you're looking at that person, you gotta realize that there was, there's like 60, 70, 80 years of life right there. forgotten 
generation comes, generation goes, then a generation comes and a generation goes, and a generation comes and a generation goes, and generation comes and a generation goes, and the earth just kind of keeps, keeps on going. They don't change. Oh, yeah, they changed the world. Did they, though? Did they? Still deal with the same problems, maybe in newfangled ways, with newfangled gadgets. Same problems. The sun rises, the sun goes down, and hastens to the place where it rises. This is a great word, by the way. This word in Hebrew literally means pants, not pants that I'm wearing, but pants like. <gasps> He's portraying the sun as being a. He, this is not a statement about weather or the way the universe works, okay? He's not saying the sun, the sun goes around the earth. From our perspective, the sun goes down and it comes up. And, and his point is, as soon as it goes down, he's just exhausted. But then it, it hastens, it pants all the way back to start again. And then it comes back. And then it goes around. And then it goes around. And it's just tiring, isn't it? It doesn't actually accomplish the, any, anything. It just keeps doing the same thing it's been doing. Working really hard, so hard it's panting. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north, around and around goes the wind, and on its circuit the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea's not full. You guys ever been near a river and you just, honestly, the river looks like it's, if you go near like River Rapids, you can see the power of the river and the toiling that it's doing to get down there, but where ultimately does it go? Well, into the ocean where it gets, you know, water vapored up, goes into a cloud, falls on Seattle, comes, you know, is around and around and around and around. And you sit and watch it, you're like, whoa, look at the power of the ocean. Look at the power of the river. Now that's making a difference, is it? To the place where the streams flow, there, they flow again. You know, when you, when you read this <laughs> and, and you think about all the effort that is put forth to basically get nowhere, that's his argument. When you think about all the effort to basically get nowhere, you ask the question, okay, what gain is there in all that toil? Even reading the thing, the way he writes about it, around and around and around, I'm just, I'm tired reading it. No wonder the next line is, all things are full of weariness. A man can't utter it. See, he turns a little bit from the created world now, and he's going to talk about us. Uh, a man can't utter it. Look, the, uh, the eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Uh, I remember in the 1990s, late 90s, when I first saw a high-definition television. It was at the State Fair of Texas. Guys, they, they had it in a tent, and there was a line out the door to see an HD TV, like a 480p, whatever it's called, HD TV. I remember walking in, they had a HD uh, TV. It wasn't very big, but they were playing on it some replays of the Cowboys. And I remember sitting there in front of it, just, what? It's so clear. You can, it's like I can touch them. There were people in the room who were so overwhelmed. It actually reminded me a little bit of the first time there was a film, actually, that was ever put out. Uh, people in the theater sat down, and the film was of a train. That's it. A train coming toward the screen. 
and people were freaking out. Ah, they thought a train was literally coming through. They'd never seen anything like it. And now I walk into Costco and I'm like, I think it needs to be 4K. I don't know what a K is, but it's got to be four. And if there's five, I'm going to get a five. Right? Because the, the, listen, it was great for a minute. It was great for a minute. I was, I mean, I wouldn't say satisfied, but I was excited for this short, this short fleeting moment. Wow. Until, you know, a new thing comes along and it goes around and around and around and never satisfied ultimately. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be, be done, right? I mean, like, hey, look, they were the same people back in those days looking at the train coming as I am now watching the HDTV as the kid is now watching his VR who in the future will be like, I don't know. I don't know. It's the same thing, round and around and around. There's nothing new under the sun is there a thing of which you see? See, oh, that's new. It's been already in the ages before us. I remember when I first saw the iPhone. I was like, what? What is that thing? You can hold it in your hand and you can watch. At that point, you can could, you could access the internet on your hand? My, this is amazing. I remember when I got an iPhone 3. It's amazing, iPhone three, and then a four, then a six, and then a seven. Was there a seven, eight, ten? Oh, they named that X. That was different, right? And now you have a, what are we on, 15? It's made of titanium. Well, soon it'll be made of vibranium, right? I mean, So he said, look, he's not saying that there's not new inventions that come along. He's just basically saying the new inventions are the old inventions of the days gone by. And the new inventions of today will be the old inventions of the days. I mean, come on. It's just the same. It's just the same thing. It's been already in the ages before us. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. So at the end, you're supposed to be asking yourself the question, what does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? And the answer is none. Be blessed. It's also fleeting. And you can, you can see why it is that like the translators of, of the NIV are like uh, meaningless. It's all It's all meaningless. Right, so I, I want to, at this point, we're gonna stop here for today and I wanna give you a couple of applications in our last 10 minutes together. Um, number one, after reading that, I, I think it's really important for Christians to be honest about life. I'm saying that because I think it's particularly important for Christian people to deal with the world the way it is, not the way you dream it would be. It will be that way someday. It will. I promise. We look forward to that day, don't we? Where the fulfillment actually will be. That's the beauty of being a Christian, is that there is a day, yeah, where the kingdom of God fully comes in, in all of its fullness, and, and, and finally, the satisfaction that we long for will, will be there in Jesus. Okay? That, that day will come. 
but it's not here yet. But for some reason, the Christian church has gotten to the point where we're like, no, but you have to act like it's here yet. Don't go to church and not smile. Put on your best outfit. Make sure you look, you know, look the part. Do all the stuff. Uh, I watch these uh, news bloopers. <laughs> it's I, it's my, my guilty pleasure. I sit and watch these news bloopers every month. I love them. I love them because... It, the news is so funny because it's all presentation. Hi, everybody. Welcome today. Let's go over to the big board. It's going to snow today. See the snow? And, and you're like, this isn't, if I sat down with this dude and, and, and we were just at the pub or whatever, uh, he's not talking like this. He, there's no way he talks like, nobody talks like this. Yes, I do. Can you imagine sitting down next to a guy who was like, hello there. You'd be like, what are you doing, man? What are you doing? But I, so I love the bloopers where they're like, hi, everybody, fall over themselves. Oh, come on. And they say the stuff. And you're like, ha ha, I knew it. I knew that there's a real you under there who deals with the real stuff. And all of this is massive, is massive just presentation. Movie outtakes are great that way. Hot mic political speakers are that way. You're like, oh, there it is. You told the truth. You tried not to, but you did. Uh, Christians can sound like we're putting on a happy face. A lot. I, mean, it, I have a phrase that I use. Uh, it's the phrase, a difficult providence. That's a difficult providence. I believe that God is sovereign over all the things. And I believe that sickness comes and I believe that heartache comes and that is a difficult providence. It's not unlucky. It's a difficult providence. Somewhere in God's wisdom, he knows what he's doing with it, but it's a difficult providence. But Christians, we, it's like we don't want to act like any providences are difficult. But to act that way is to somehow say, well, it's not providence then if I think it's bad. I need to be happy. You know the little girl? Honestly, I, I, on, the, on the reels or the memes, the little girl whose mom's like, here, taste this. It's good, huh? She's like, mm. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to be like that. We don't have to be like that. If there's one thing the book of Ecclesiastes can teach us, it's that, hey, it's okay for you to just admit it. It's hard. Things aren't always going great. We put so much energy in so many things, our sports, our movies, our Hobbies are work, our families, and it, they don't really fulfill, they don't really carry the water that we've, we've placed on their back. Putting in all of those coins into that machine, you know, ooh, this is going to be great when it comes out. It's really expensive, and out comes tab. Sorry, that's an old drink in front of you. Like, what is that? Exactly, Right? Exactly. It just, doesn't, it just doesn't pay off in the end. What's really hard for me is when I see Christian people who've been influenced by the prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel is the idea that, you know, if you do all the right things or say certain prayers or declare, declare certain things that you won't be sick, you'll be rich, everything's gonna be great. I saw one preacher say, I tried sickness. I didn't like it. And I said, no more of that. So this guy lives 
in front of his congregation saying, I'm never sick. What's funny is I've seen him put glasses on. I'm like, ah! Well, it's not sickness. Do you know that there are people who are like on TBN and stuff, who actually, pastors and others, who have actually had to hide the fact that they've had cancer? Because you're not supposed to have that when you're a Christian. Now, you and I were like, oh, I wouldn't do that kind of thing. Yeah, but we kind of do. We have to be happy clappy. Everything's got to be great. There are no hard providences. Yeah, but there are. All the things I invest my time in are always good. It's a Christian radio. It's family-friendly radio. Okay, there's a place for that and the encouragement that comes from that. But come on, at some point, don't you have to understand that the Bible has things, a whole book called Lamentations? There are Psalms of lament. Why do the wicked prosper? Why have you forgotten us, Lord? Turn your face away from us. What is going on down here? Who's in charge? That stuff's all over the Bible. It's all over the Bible. Should be all over the Christian. Healthy Christian people interact with the world as it is, not as they think it should be. Some people are always surprised to hear that Charles Spurgeon was one of the most depressed men in Christian history. (laughs) William Cooper, who wrote beautiful hymns. A guy named John Newton, you know, Amazing Grace, used to have to go and visit him in his house so he wouldn't kill himself. These are the heroes of the faith. It's important for Christians to be honest about life. Second... We can't hope for the things of this fallen world to provide what only heaven can. We cannot hope for the things of this fallen world to provide what only heaven can. Right, because just picture in your mind, I don't care what the endeavor is, it's working, 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 and they get all the way there, right? Maybe it's you get to the baseball championship, or you win the national championship in football, or the Super Bowl, and the confetti comes down, or maybe you get the promotion, or maybe you win the lottery, or whatever it is. How many people do you know who've been in that situation have lives that scream satisfaction? And instead of saying, well, it's, uh, listen, you were looking, you were looking for something in this fallen world to provide for you a little heaven, this side of heaven, and it can't provide that. It wasn't made to provide that. There's only one who can provide that, yes? And even in this present world, right? Even in this present world, the secret that Christians have is that if I have Jesus, I have enough. It doesn't mean that I have everything sorted and I'm always happy, but if I got Jesus, I've got enough because one day, one day, one day, I will be fulfilled. You know, I'll finish with one of my favorite passages of scripture. It's actually Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter four. You know, I've said before in the last few weeks, in fact, that Paul, when uh, he's writing the book of Philippians, it's a letter he's writing from prison. 
to a church that basically gave him uh, financial help and the presence of uh, a guy who's gonna serve, a guy named Epaphroditus. So he's a missionary church planter and they're sending a guy to help serve him. Like this is a church supporting mission. And this, this book is basically his thank you letter. Th- thank you, you're gonna thank you note from you know, Compassion International or the church or what, this is what this is. But he gets to the end and he says something crazy about money. He's, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You guys used to, I mean, you used to be supporting me. There was a gap and now you've done it again. You were indeed concerned for me, but you just didn't have opportunity. You didn't have a guy maybe to send to me or maybe it was just you guys didn't have any money at the time, but now you've revived it. But I, don't, I wanna be clear about something, says Paul. It's not that I'm speaking from being in need for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. He means financially here. I know to have nothing, man. Not know where my next meal's gonna come from. Not have a pension, not have it all sorted out. I know what it's like to get the very edge of destitution financially. And I know how to abound. Man, I know what it's like to be rich and have all the things taken care of. I know both of that. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What's your secret, Paul? Because I want that. Because all the things, I, I want money so that it will make me happy. I want money so that I'll be fulfilled. I want success so that I'll be fulfilled. I want to win the game so that I'll be fulfilled. And he's saying, I don't need that. Why don't you need that? Well, I, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. If I got Jesus, I got enough. Have you learned that secret? Or do you keep going back to what won't satisfy, thinking just one more time, and it will. If I I just do it right, it will. Maybe it's time that we're all honest with ourselves. It's not working. It can't work. But Jesus can. And he will. Let me pray. Father, I'm thankful for um, the promise of eternity. And we read in a book like Ecclesiastes, it fits within the wider framework of the Bible's revelation to us. There There is a day where all things will be restored and all, uh, everything sad will become untrue. And we long for it, Lord, right? We, we, we long for it. Creation longs in eager expectation for the revelation of the sons of God. We groan inwardly for it. And yet we're stuck in this in-between time, Lord, and we're trying to figure out how do we live waiting? What do we do? And our hearts are so commonly pinned to the idols of our culture and the things that we're told are gonna please us. But Lord, would you please, would you please deliver us from those things? Would you grant us 
eyes to see and ears to hear the voice of our Savior, the love of our Savior, and ultimately, Father, that we will place all of our hope and trust in him that he will deliver us when the time is right. It's in that hope, Father, we continue. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. For more information and how to get connected to one of our campuses, go to harvestbible.org. Tune in again next week for another edition of the Harvest Bible Chapel podcast.